Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to this presentation on an overview of 20 cannabis terms, including marijuana, Delta-8, CBD, nabiximols, and more. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. Now, I know this sounds like it's going to be somewhat of a dry presentation, and quite honestly, it is. But I think it's really important that we are aware of what some of these terms are so we're not confused when we hear people talking about them. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. According to a 2019 National Survey on Drug Use and Mental Health, so that's 2019, it was done before the pandemic, and I think that's really important to note because there have been a lot of changes in substance use and legalization and all that kind of stuff since the pandemic and since 2019, but this is the newest information we have at this point. According to the 2019 National Survey on Drug Use and Mental Health, 46% of people have used illicit marijuana as opposed to medical marijuana, and nearly 20% of people are current users. Now, in this study, it was specifically asking about marijuana as an illicit drug, therefore, the response rates are probably a little bit skewed, especially, again, with the people who are taking medical marijuana. The assumption is they did not say yes because it's not an illicit substance. They were prescribed it and they were taking it as prescribed. And it's also unknown how people responded who were in states that had already legalized marijuana. So our data here is a little off um, in, in interpretation or open to a lot of interpretation, if you will. But the takeaway is a lot of people are using marijuana. As marijuana and its constituents, like CBD, become more mainstream and legal in many places, it's essential that people understand the basic terms and consequences associated with marijuana. Now, today we're really not going to talk a lot about consequences. That's the next video. But in today's video, again, let's start understanding some of the terms. What's the difference between CBD and THC? What's the difference between hemp and marijuana and hash? So let's start out with cannabis, marijuana, and hemp. Cannabis is the scientific name of the plant that most people call marijuana. So cannabis and marijuana are the same thing. And I'll get to hemp, hemp in a minute. And I'm going to make the analogy like dogs because a lot of people are less familiar about the different um, genus and species and breakdowns of plants, but they are aware or they can conceptualize a little bit better dogs. So I'm going to go back and forth between that for a minute. Now, cannabis, the technical term, 
or marijuana, as a lot of people refer to it, um, can also be called 420, pot, or weed. And there are other names, but these are the most common ones. Now, cannabis comes in two main strains, indica and sativa. Indica is more relaxing, and there are about um, 892 different strains of indica marijuana. And there's about 565 different strains of sativa marijuana, which is more energizing. So let's talk about how does that parallel to the dogs? Well, you have a group of dogs called terriers. So that's kind of like the cannabis family of plants, terriers. Now within that, you have dogs that are very, very different. You have the little tiny Jack Russell, you have the pit bull, and then among pit bulls, they've crossbred them and bred them down to make miniature pit bulls. Um, and then you also have other dogs like poodles. Poodles would be kind of like that overarching cannabis plant, but then poodles have been crossbred with other plants, or I'm sorry, other dogs in order to make cockapoos or labradoodles. So you have differences or variations within the same group, but then you can also cross groups and create what is a hybrid. And there are about 4,003 hybrids of marijuana. So crosses between indica and sativa. Okay. So that being said, and it's whether it's a hybrid is not super important, but I want you to realize there are a lot of different um, types of marijuana out there. When, when people start talking about different names of um, marijuana, like Purple Haze or Kush, they are talking about specific um, strains that have been bred out of that particular type of marijuana. So the marijuana that people use to, to ingest is generally indica or sativa. And you are saying, well, what about hemp? Well, hemp is a little curious because hemp is a cannabis sativa plant. However, it's one of those uh, strains that has been bred so it has little to zero uh, THC in it. So it is referred to as cannabis sativa industrial. Um, when I garden, and I know I said I wasn't going to do plants, but plants make it so clear to me because when I garden, when I do roses, I like the old-fashioned roses, not the uh, knockout roses. So when I go to the old-fashioned roses, then among the old-fashioned roses, there are different strains. And there is um, the one that's Marilyn Monroe, and there's Mr. Lincoln, and there are all different um, uh, strains of the plant. And depending on which strain you get, you're going to get a different color, you're going to get, get a different smell, and you're going to get some different disease resistance. So it's important to recognize that each one of these strains has its own unique properties. And part of 
the reason people have created so many different strains is to um, provide differences in the um, intensity of the CBD and THC within the in the plant. Plants of um, cannabis plants have gotten 30 times stronger today than they were 30 years ago. So it's important to recognize that they've become much more potent. And that is one of the things that was bred in or bred out, the potency. But also the balance of THC to CBD varies in the different strains. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And if you go onto a website that sells marijuana, because they do sell it like in Canada, um, you can look at different types of marijuana that are available and see how they, they actually tell you the percentage of THC to CBD. So that's kind of interesting. But so the takeaway from this slide, cannabis is the scientific name for what we call marijuana and hemp is a strain of cannabis sativa. More terms. There was a period there when I was working in community behavioral health that spice was a big thing. And I don't think it's nearly as big anymore, especially as marijuana becomes more legal and more available. And in my opinion, and this is my personal opinion, that's a good thing. Because spice is crazy, scary, dangerous. Um, a lot of people refer to it as K2 or synthetic cannabis, but spice was made purely out of chemicals. It is completely unrelated to the cannabis plant, and the effects of it were relatively unpredictable. I had a few people uh, in treatment who went out on uh, went went out to work, and they came back from work, came back to the residential facility, and they had used spice while they were out. And we ended up having to call the ambulance because the THC levels and the uh, psychoactive components of the spice were so high, they were actually in a, in a medical crisis. So spice is something you'll hear about. It still exists, but um, I think a lot of people are going back to the the horse's mouth, so to speak. And it seems like there's a lot more use and uh, of the actual cannabis plant. Now, what about hashish? We've heard about it. Um, if you've watched any of the old movies from the 70s, a lot of people talk about it. And, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people who are watching this video are not really familiar. People who are in that space are familiar with all these terms. And they're like, everybody knows what hashish is. Well, that's not true. Um, so it's important to um, understand that and bear with me a little bit. Hashish and hash oil are uh, a component of the marijuana plant. They can be referred to as BHO, butane hash oil, 710, dabs, shatter, wax, or amber. And these are basically like a syrupy liquid that are condensed and when when they harden they look like amber they look like a um, semi-translucent golden substance 
Hash is short for hashish, a high THC resin from the top of the cannabis plant. So this is not from the plant itself. It's a, well, it's not from like the leaves. It is a resin from the top of the plant, usually from the flower. It's usually very strong and can be smoked, chewed, or swallowed. So this wax, this resin can be smoked, chewed, or swallowed. Hash oil or honey oil is concentrated form of cannabis resin, usually produced with a chemical solvent. So in order to turn it into an oil, um, it can be produced with a chemical solvent. There's been a lot of hubbub over the past three to five years over Delta-8 in particular, and to a certain extent, Delta-9 and Delta-10, but these are all different forms of THC. When people talk about THC, they're commonly referring to the Delta-9 component, but what is this Delta-8? Well, Delta-8 kind of slid through the cracks because it is typically made by synthetically converting hemp-derived CBD. So they take the hemp plant, which is supposed to have little or no uh, THC in it, and they get the CBD oil out of it. They get the C um, cannabidiol out of it. Or they can take the actual THC out of, you know, some other plant, uh, some other cannabis, and they actually convert it into Delta-8. Now, Delta-8 and Delta-9 are both forms of THC, but they're chemically, structurally just a little bit different. And because of that structural difference, there is a loophole in the law. And I haven't gone and read the law in its entirety, but basically my understanding is at THC, that is regulated is of the chemical structure of Delta-9. And Delta-8, since it's not the same chemical structure, isn't regulated. So we've seen a just explosion of Delta-8 products. Unfortunately, people don't, a lot of people don't respect the fact that it's still THC in a, just in a slightly different form. Some uh, surveys have found that consumers felt that Delta-8 was an effective substitute for Delta-9 or cannabis. So people who used to use cannabis that had higher THC levels or used to use THC itself found that Delta-8 was a reasonable compromise, if you will. In some cases, they felt that Delta-8 had less intense side effects. We need to recognize that Delta-8 exists, that people may use Delta-8, that it is a form of THC, and that it will interact in the body and with other medications, likely in a similar way, not the exact same way, but in a similar way to THC. So we do need to be cognizant of that. And as far as Delta-10, Apparently, we know very little about it, except for that it is another form of THC that exists. We've talked a lot about cannabis. We've talked about the plant. We've talked about um, some different terms and different um, forms of cannabis. But why do we care? Well, cannabis acts on something called the endocannabinoid system. And I find that really fun to say, endocannabinoid. But I digress. Um, 
the endocannabinoid system is involved in uh, modulating and regulating virtually every process in our body. The endocannabinoid system consists of two main types of receptors, CB1 and CB2. CB1 and CB2 receptors are found throughout the body and respond to internal cannabinoids as well as the over 100 cannabinoids present in cannabis. So our body makes cannabinoids, endocannabinoids, that means internally created. Um, but when people use cannabis products, it sort of hijacks those receptors from the stuff that our body makes. And it says, oh no, we have this much stronger, much more potent thing out here. Uh, so it's important to recognize that what we're doing is hijacking that system. The endocannabinoid system helps regulate most bodily functions. Endocannabinoid-induced modulation of stress-related behaviors appears to be mediated in part through the regulation of the serotonergic system. That's a lot of gobbledygook. Basically, it's saying the endocannabinoid system affects your serotonin levels, affects the activity of the serotonergic system, and that can be good or it can be bad. Remember that Goldilocks principle, too little serotonin, people tend to feel depressed. Too much, they tend to feel anxious. And anytime you monkey with one of the neurotransmitters like serotonin, it's going to affect the levels of all the other ones. Many behaviors and physical symptoms that have traditionally been thought to be dopamine dependent are now also understood to come from interactions between the endocannabinoid system and dopaminergic systems. So, okay, not only does the endocannabinoid system mess with your serotonin system, it messes with your dopamine system, which is not a surprise because like I just said, you mess with serotonin, you're going to mess with dopamine. You mess with dopamine, it's going to affect serotonin. Uh, some of the behaviors that were used to be thought to be completely under the control or as a result of problems with dopamine uh, include motor control and motor disorders such as restless leg syndrome and Parkinson's. Now they understand that some of those problems, yes, dopamine's involved, but part of it is due to how the endocannabinoid system is regulating those dopaminergic neurons. Now, within the body, I said there are CB1 and CB2 receptors in that endocannabinoid system. And a lot of people have started to be fascinated by something called CBD or cannabidiol, which is a cannabinoid that comes from the cannabis plant. Cannabidiol is a cannabinoid mainly targeting the CB2 receptors in the body and the immune system. Cannabidiol, it does not have psychoactive properties itself. Now, it can reduce inflammation, which tends to help people's mood. But what CB2 is doing is really working within that immune system. THC or tetrahydrocannabidiol, is the main psychoactive ingredient in cannabis that is responsible for the high effects, and it binds to the CB1 receptors, which are found, again, throughout the body, but much more concentrated in the brain than CB2. 
an important point, and I'm going to do an entire video on cytochrome P450 because it's that important, but it's important to recognize that THC and CBD, so two of the cannabinoids that come from cannabis, both inhibit the metabolism of other drugs. So it keeps other drugs from breaking down through interactions with cytochrome P450 enzymes. So people who are taking CBD, which is sold over the counter, people who are taking Delta-8, which is sold over the counter, are taking sub and people who are using cannabis, whether it's medical marijuana or um, recreational marijuana, if they're ingesting these cannabinoids, they are affecting the way their body processes medication. And depending on the medication, it may result in too little being in the system, but most often it results in too much being in the system because it doesn't get broken down and whisked away. Another fascinating component of marijuana, but not unique to marijuana, are terpenes. And a lot of people think of terpenes as, and they think marijuana, but terpenes are present in all plants. It's a group of over 30,000 aromatic components, generally thought of as like essential oils, aromatic components of the plants. Many terpenes impact neurotransmitter and hormone levels. When you smell them, the receptors in your nose actually report to the HPA axis and affect the body's stress response or relaxation response. Limonene, and these are not all the terpenes, um, but these are some of the more common ones that are found in cannabis as well as other plants. And parenthetically in this PowerPoint, I have indicated other ways or other places that you'll find these same exact terpenes generally in your own kitchen. Limonene is found in lemon rind, uh, rosemary, peppermint, and bergamot, among other things. These are just a couple examples. Humulene is found in hops, basil, sage, clove, and black pepper. Pinene is found in pine, rosemary, basil, and bergamot. Linalool is found in lavender, rose, basil, bergamot, and lavender. Caryophyllene is found in pepper, cloves, and cinnamon. Myrcene in hops, mango, of all things, and lemongrass. And eucalyptol, obviously eucalyptus, and bay leaf. I do have a video on the YouTube channel and actually in the uh, marijuana playlist that goes over the uh, terpenes sort of in depth, what they do for us or what they're supposed to do for us as far as uh, impacting our mood, etc., and where you can find them. How do you ingest marijuana? Most people think marijuana, they think pot, they think smoking, um, you know, they think joints or, or bongs. Okay, that's one way or a couple of ways. But you can also get them through gummies or edibles. When people ingest marijuana through oral means, it takes a lot longer for the substance to get into the system because it's got to kind of be broken down. Um, so... A lot of people feel the effects of ingestion of CBD and uh, gummies and edibles that have cannabis in them 
30 minutes or more after ingestion. So it's important not to get too um, eager and be like, well, this isn't working. Maybe I need to take more because then when it finally does hit you, um, it's a lot more potent than you expected. As I mentioned, you can smoke it. You can inhale it through a joint, a blunt, an oil rig, a bong, pipes, or a vape pen. Topicals. Now, CBD topicals are really popular right now. Um, and uh, there are other topicals that actually have both CBD and THC in them. Not legal in every place. Uh, <clears throat> But the topicals are absorbed by the skin and enter the bloodstream. So just because you're applying it doesn't mean it's not going to interact with other medications. Now, it's probably not going to get absorbed to the same um, uh, intensity that it would if you ate it or smoked it. But it's important to recognize that your body, that your, your skin actually does absorb stuff into it and that's transmitted into the bloodstream. That's why, you know, you don't want to get um, weed killer on your bare skin because it can get absorbed through the skin into the bloodstream and have all kinds of nasty effects. Now, another neat thing is uh, something called Nabixamols and Sativex is the brand name of the, what I can find, only Nabixamol that is currently being used. Nabixamols contain a one-to-one -one ratio of THC to CBD in an oral mucosal spray. Now, Nabixamols are not yet approved in the U.S., but are approved in the U.K. and many other countries. And you may be saying, well, why do we need that? Well, for a lot of conditions, and again, we'll talk about it later in the series, CBD is really helpful, but THC... In, in addition to CBT or CBD actually enhances the effect. It actually helps do more for um, certain conditions. So sometimes the nabixamols are very helpful. Now, CBD basically negates the psychoactive effects or severely reduces the psychoactive effects of the THC. So when it's in a one-to-one -one ratio, you're getting the, uh, some of the alternate benefits of the THC, um, in combination with the CBD, but you're not, again, you're not getting that high that a lot of people worry about. So nabixamols are a really interesting thing that are currently under study. As I mentioned several times, I did not cover all terms. What I wanted to do was hit the highlights, hit the big ones that you might need to know if you are alive today. Um, whether you're watching, watching the news and trying to educate yourself about marijuana and make decisions on your opinion on marijuana reform, or whether you are considering uh, using CBD for pain or anxiety or whatever you think it might help with. Um, it's important to know the different terms and know what's out there. Uh, so you're looking before you leap, so to speak. The next video is going to talk about the short-term and long-term benefits and drawbacks of the different components or constituents of cannabis.